today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. No, 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 don't, hey, come on. That's legalism. <laughs> it's legal, really? Legalism? No. You're a sinner. You've sinned. When are you going to stop justifying it and making excuses for it? Oh, we're so good at making excuses. You want to talk about brilliant creativity. We come up with some of the most amazing excuses. Today, Pastor J.D. wants you to know that God doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. You can't blame your sin on the devil. You can't blame it on your poor upbringing or a generational curse or anything else. Only yourself. If you're born again, you are a new creation. Those things no longer hold power over you. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Isaiah chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. It manifests in this notion that, oh, well, God hasn't judged me or chastise me. It must be no big deal to God. And so you kind of just kind of justify it. Here's how it sounds in our lives. It's very subtle. It goes something like this. Oh, it's just that, it's just a little thing. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, it's just this one area, this one issue. Oh, it's an issue. You know, when it comes to adultery, We've really kind of taken the edge off of it. We don't call it that. We call it an affair. Oh, it's just an affair. No, it's adultery. (laughs) No, it's just this, I just have this one issue. No, it's sin. Call it what it is. Because as long as you continue to call it anything but, it's hands off to God. Because God doesn't forgive issues. Right? First John 1 9. Confess your issues. And He is faithful and just to forgive you of your issues and cleanse you of all of your affairs. No, sin. Sin. Hey, come on. That's legalism. <laughs> it's legal. Really? Legalism? No. You're a sinner. You've sinned. When are you going to stop justifying it and making excuses for it? Oh, we're so good at making excuses. You want to talk about brilliant creativity. We come up with some of the most amazing excuses to justify it. And again, point the finger of blame. Well, you know, I know, but if you only knew my wife and the things that I have to deal with, with her, you know, you're justifying it. And by the way, you know how insidious that is? It's not just pride, it's spiritual pride. It's spiritual pride. Verse 20, woe to those who call evil good 
and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is well known, right? Often quoted, we refer to this. This is kind of a go-to, especially, and you'll forgive the pun, (laughs) when it comes to low-hanging fruit. We cite this nation, the United States of America, which I think in all fairness, this is an apt description of not just this nation, but the whole world. Evil is good now. And good? Oh, evil. Bitter is sweet. Sweet is bitter. We know that the church is in a weakened state, feckless. You'd be hard-pressed to find a church that doesn't look like the world. Instead of the church reaching the world, the world has reached the church. Instead of the church influencing the world, the world has influenced the church. Again, I know this is low-hanging fruit. Good is evil, evil is good. But here's the thing. This will always ensue when one forgets God and rejects God. Everything's out of whack. Everything's upside down. Everything's backward. When you reject the truth, then any lie is in play and fair game. But all of a sudden now, the Christian is the problem. And isn't it true that the Christian's in the way? Well, you know, one of these days, I believe very soon actually, sooner than any of us could possibly imagine, we're going to be taken out of the way, and so is the restrainer. Second Thessalonians 2. And you know, I know that God's not going to let me do this when we're taken out of the way and taken out of this world in the rapture. But I want to be able to say, and this is in a very sanctified way, so don't look at me like you're looking at me right now. (laughs) I want to be able to say, okay, you can have the world now. It's all yours. Oh, spoiler alert. You only get it for seven years. And oh, by the way, it's not going to be pretty for seven years. But it's all yours. Aloha. Is that mean? Is that bad? I tried to be sanctified and pastoral. and But you know, it's kind of like right now the Christian's the problem. The Christian's the enemy. I read an article in my, uh, I read so many, I have to go through so many things, and um, I didn't really have time to vet it, but if I'm not mistaken, it may either already be the case in America, or it is about to be the case in America where the Bible, you know this whole cancel culture thing? The Bible's going to be outlawed because it's hate speech, and it's uh, anti-LGBTQ, it's, you know, just down the list, it's racist. So it's just a matter of time. You know, they've censored us, uh, you know, on the prophecy updates on YouTube. It's just a matter of time before a Bible study like this in Isaiah chapter 5 is going to be censored. If the Lord tarries, certainly it will. Because evil is good, and good 
is evil. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. This fifth curse, hang in there with me for just a moment. I was really inquiring of the Lord because it kind of seems like this deals with making intellectualism a God, little g. And I'm going to take it even further and dare to say that it's also speaking to those who were wise in their own eyes, because they're the science. Science has been deified. Isn't it interesting? Don't you find it interesting? I'll be careful here. I'll be prudent. Not paranoid, prudent. But don't you find it interesting that the narrative is, listen to the science. Excuse me? Listen to the science? I'm sorry. I'm going to listen to the God of science. He's the God of... Oh, but you can't make science in God. Really? You might want to take that up with God. I don't want to be anywhere close when you do. God created science. How about that? Oh, you're so smart, are you? Yes, because, well, science says, and, you know, you just picture the guy, I don't know that they do this anymore with the pipe, you know, pontificating, well, you know, (laughs) stroking his beard with his other hand. You know, based on the, you know, thesis that, shut up, close your mouth. I'm sorry if that word's offensive. I know it is for some, and my my apologies. I, I sincerely mean that. But I said it anyway. It actually felt really good to say it. I'm sorry. Pray for me. But close your mouth. Be very careful what you speak. You will give an account for every word you speak. You are heaping upon yourself the wrath of God, because you say there is no God. You're a fool. You think you're so wise. You are a fool. It is a fool who says in his heart, there is no God. I mean, you can pontificate all you want that we came from the goo to the zoo to you, I love that one. I heard that like 25 years ago. I I said, I'm totally stealing that one. (laughs) Evolution, really? That takes more faith than creation. Have you ever heard that illustration? You know the Big Bang Theory? Well, there was a Big Bang. God said bang, and (laughs) He created. So I guess in theory that can work, but that's a stretch. But you know that this whole thing of there was this Big Bang and... (laughs) That would be like an explosion in a factory, and it created a functional Boeing 747. That's faith. That's, wow, I'm not worthy. I mean, uh, I am ashamed of my little faith. That's a lot of faith to believe that. Verse 22, we've got to keep moving. Stop doing that. (laughs) 
Woe to men, mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men, valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Well, this is the sixth and last curse. And I suppose you could say it deals with what we call today alcoholism, which always leads to blurred judgment and injustice, not to mention the destroyed lives it leaves in its wake. Strong drink, intoxicating drink. Verse 24, Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble, and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom will ascend like dust, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. And it's worse than that. Not only did they reject it, they despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. That's pretty strong. Therefore, verse 25, the anger of the Lord, and this is a righteous anger, a just anger, is aroused against His people. He has stretched out His hand against them and stricken them, and the hills tremble. Their carcasses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, His anger is not turned away, but... ah. This is a good but, by the way. His hand is stretched out still. Did you catch that? We talked about having your the word but in the right spot. <laughs> you can say, man, I know God works everything together for the good, but I don't know how I'm going to make it this month. Your but's in the wrong spot. I don't know how I'm going to make it this month, but I know that God works all things together for the good. You see how it just changes the whole complexion of it? Well, such is the case here. After all this judgment, I mean, this is like almost too much information, TMI as we say. I don't want to know about the carcasses. And I mean, (laughs) this is horrific, right? But, this is a but God. But, (laughs) God has His hand of mercy stretched out still. And oh, by the way, they are nail-pierced hands. Hands of mercy and grace stretched out still. Verse 26, He will lift up a banner to the nations from afar, and will whistle to them from the end of the earth. Surely they, speaking of the Assyrians, now this is really interesting, the precision with which we are told this is going to happen, and it did happen. Surely they will come with speed, swiftly. No one will be weary or stumble among them. No one will slumber or sleep, nor will the belt on their loins be loosed, nor the strap of their sandals be broken whose arrows are sharp and all their bows bent, their horses' hooves will seem like flint and their wheels like a whirlwind. The Assyrians coming against Judah will be effortless with precision accuracy. Their roaring will be like a lion. You know, it's been said that a lion will roar right before it pounces on its prey. 
It's quiet as a mouse when it's stalking its prey. But at the moment that it is ready to attack its prey, it lets out a blood-curdling roar. That's what's being described here. Their roaring will be like a lion. They will roar like young lions. Yes, they will roar and lay hold of the prey. They will carry it away safely. And no one will deliver. In that day, verse 30, they will roar against them, like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and sorrow, and the light is darkened by the clouds. Wow. What a way to end the chapter. I don't want to end the Bible study on such a dark note. Literally, the <laughs> whatever light there was, was darkened by the clouds. <laughs> At first read... This seems horrific, right? Coming from God's hand. However, upon closer examination, one can actually see the love and the mercy of God. And if you'll kindly allow me to, in the remainder of our time, I want to take just a couple of minutes and explain why that is. I mean, we just got done reading where God is allowing the Assyrians to come with precision speed to take captive Judah. And they did. This was fulfilled, exactly as we're told it would be. Well, why would God do that? That's not loving, is it? Oh, yes, it is. That's kind of harsh, almost disproportionate. I mean, so they forgot you. Do you need it to be that harsh? of a judgment? Yeah. Why? Because that's what it's going to take to get them to return to me. That's what it's going to take to get them to repent. This is my love. If I didn't love them this much, I wouldn't bother. What parent, even grandparent, because they love, their children, their grandchildren. They will mete out what could seem to be this harsh punishment, but in the end it has the end of bringing them back to the Lord, because that's what it takes. This is Proverbs 20, verse 30. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. I think of David in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, verse 67. Listen to this. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I forgot the Lord. Before I was afflicted, then God afflicted me. (laughs) And you know what happened? Oh, now I obey His word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. God blessed me abundantly, and it caused me to stray. But then He brought the much-needed blows of affliction, and it brought me right back to Him. And now I'm walking in obedience. A few verses later in verse 71, He says, It was good for me to be afflicted. It was good. I don't want to have to go through it again, but it was good. It's good that God did that. 
It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. If you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, (laughs) when the chastisement from the hand of a loving God comes and strikes, and His hand is against us, stretched out against us to strike us, it's always because He loves us. He chastises those whom He loves. Never think that God is angry with you. No. He took all of His anger and He put it on His Son on that cross. And all of His wrath, all of His anger, was placed on Jesus. And He took that for you, for me, instead of you, instead of me. So there is therefore now no anger, no condemnation, no wrath. God is not angry with you. Yeah, but um, I know He loves me, but it doesn't feel like He likes me too much right now. (laughs) You know how it is, right? We tend to look at our Heavenly Father through the lens of our earthly father. And our earthly father, when we messed up really bad, we'd lay low. I know I did. You know, I'm going to get it. So we lay low. I really ticked him off this time. I'm going to get it. And we kind of tend to view our Heavenly Father like that, if we're honest with ourselves, right? Kind of like, man, I, I really blew it again. I better lay low. And the enemy's right there, isn't he? You better lay low. <laughs> After what you did, oh, that was bad. I knew. I wouldn't go to church if I were you. That's, whew, if the people in church knew what you did. Don't look at the person sitting or standing next to you right now. Man, I, I wouldn't even bother praying right now. I just kind of let God cool down because, you know, he's kind of angry right now. Not at all. Don't fall for it. Don't fall prey to it. The sooner you can get to the cross, the sooner that sin is forgiven. Don't let the enemy keep you from the cross, because he knows that's the game changer. That'll change everything. And as long as he can keep you from the cross where that sin was paid for, having you believe and be deceived that God is angry with you, that's where the condemnation comes in, and then He distances you from God. Because He knows the moment you get to the cross and confess that sin, you're forgiven immediately, instantly. It's been paid for in full. Well, what are you saying? Is the trial I'm in chastisement? Sometimes it is. Don't despise it. Don't chafe at it. Don't fight it. See it and embrace it as coming from a God who loves you so much. He's trying to protect you from yourself. You know that expression, you're your own worst enemy? I look at my mug in the mirror, I'm looking at the enemy. Straight in the eye. You're the enemy. You. Me. I'm my own worst enemy. And I cooperate with the enemy of my soul. And he couldn't be happier. 
We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding of the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.